0: All right, everybody, welcome back. Another episode of Kente Corner, episode 31. I'm Bobby Bancroft, here with Andrew Geiger, casual Hoya, and Nationwide Nolan. Guys, what's up? What's up? Hey, guys, how's it going? Well, <laughs> Georgetown is now 12-7. and seven. They are 2-4 and four in the league. They failed to hold serve at home for the first time in conference play, a ridiculous performance by Marcus Howard, specifically in the second half as Georgetown loses a game even when they get to their magic 80 point number. Guys, let's just talk about the game for me, the defense is just really isn't good enough to win games at this point against pretty good level of competition. You guys have any other takeaways we want to get into i just just overall before we get into yeah. you know offense versus defense
1: kind of thing. this was a, a really disappointing result. I mean, obviously, any loss is disappointing. But this one, you kind of felt like you, towards the end of the season, you have to think that Georgetown and Marquette are probably going to have pretty similar resumes, right? Yeah. So this is one that, that like, you know, this is an opportunity to show the committee that we're better than this team, so to speak. And the way that the Hoyas kind of fought back, you know, down seven with like three minutes left, scored seven in a row, including Blair hitting all three threes on the, when he was fouled on the, you know, all three free throws when he was fouled shooting the three, you kind of felt like momentum was in our favor, but they just couldn't, just couldn't get over that hump. And, uh, you know, obviously Howard was the killer down the stretch, McClung mixing the free throw and it's just, it's just too bad. You kind of feel like this is one that could come back to bite us, you know, in March.
2: Yeah. And I think to that point, I thought it was a pretty good performance out of year seven, which in Biggie's play has kind of been hit or miss. Um, I was a little worried about that going in because Marquette kind of has the tandem centers with Johnson and John, who I thought maybe would push him around, but he really held his own. And when he plays well, you can't really afford to lose many games right now. Um, but the defense, it just continues to be a mess. Um, you know, Bobby, we were talking earlier, even when Howard was off the floor, I mean, they just had no chance of slowing them down.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably, I mean, so there's, for, in in my mind, there's three moments where it was just like, wow, one of these has to go your way. One of them was at the end of the first half where Marquette actually increased their lead with Howard on the bench with two fouls. Um, obviously, McClung needs to make that free throw. And then um, after they had tied it up, they came down, was it your seven that got the block? Somebody block. I think it was Yurt seven that got the block, and then the ball went off of him, and they were able to. You know, George had a chance to go down if they had gotten that rebound, a chance to actually take the lead after their seven-zero run. But then Marquette yeah. got the ball, and Howard hit that three. So for me, those were like the three, like man, like you got to get one of those to go your way type, type of things.
1: Yeah, and that specific block.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that that specific
1: play with the rebound going out of bounds. There's, like, four Georgetown guys around the ball, one Marquette guy. And, (laughs) you know, the other Marquette kid is, like, literally sitting out of bounds. Um, And
0: it was off year seven. And, yeah,
1: that, that was definitely discouraging.
0: But, so, anyway, so, obviously, I'm around the team a decent amount. And one of the things, Ewing hasn't really talked about it this year, but in the past, his first year and even his second year, he kept talking about, you know, Yeah, he hasn't been in the college game, and yeah, he hasn't been a head coach, but he has just a ridiculous amount of resources that he can just pick up the phone and he can call Pat Riley. He can go see John Thompson Jr., he can talk to the Van Gundys. And I'm sure that that's true, and I'm sure he does it, but their defensive numbers overall, I like to use Ken Palm, you know, other people like to use different metrics, you know. His three years, you know, now it's two and a half years now. Those are the three worst Ken Palm defensive rankings since Ken Palm existed for Georgetown. And they're really not even that close. And I just think that's probably the most surprising thing. I mean, maybe you can argue if he had all 11 players that he wanted to play and maybe it'd be totally different and this kind of screwed things up. But they're sort of aligned with what they were the first two years. And that's just a team right around like the 130 mark that just can't defend at a high level. And that's, what I think, the most surprising thing to me and alarming.
2: Yeah, I would say when he was hired, my fear was this is going to turn into a grinding pace, we're going to be really good defensively, and the offense won't be there. And it's been the total opposite of that.
0: He's great um, on given, offense.
2: Yeah, which given his coaching lineage, you know, Thibodeau, Van Gundy, that whole tree, you would have thought maybe it would go the other way. I thought the one thing for sure would have been, Um, a clear and concise plan on the defensive end, but that's just, it hasn't materialized. Um, And it's been disappointing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do think, yes, I mean, schematically we haven't seen much on the defensive end, but I do think as an excuse, certainly not having his full accompaniment of guys that he recruited, especially a kid like LeBlanc, who by all accounts is is a defensive menace. Um, not on the court. That that certainly certainly give him
0: you know some leniency there. Yeah, of course you know with LeBlanc they were. I I think I think a lot of people and I know we probably talked about it. Well, I guess we didn't have a podcast last year, so we did not talk about it in this forum. Is I think I think Jesse got a lot of the blame because that's kind of around the time when JT three's teams went down a little bit defensively and. It was sort of looked at, well, you know, they went from all these different guys and Jesse came in and, you know, he's not really anchoring the post like people thought. And, you know, definitely did not come down to him. I just see from sitting there at the home games at midcourt, just it just seems like there's a lot of confusion as to who has who. And it usually ends up with a wide open three, particularly Georgetown's Ken Palm three point defense is almost three hundred. Which is basically like you know the type of team that Georgetown played a lot when Ewing first got the job. But that's that's a really bad number to be, you know. It just it just seems like, I, you know, I'm not a defensive guru, so I don't have the answers. But I'm a little surprised that they haven't, even if they're not going to be a great team. it just seems like there's confusion constantly.
1: Yeah, I mean, no, Nolan, what are you seeing as far as is it, is it rotations, guys missing assignments, or is it just? I mean, what, what's the they're not closing out in time, or they're they're biting on head fake? I mean, it just seems like everything that can go wrong on the perimeter really happens to this team. It, I, I don't recall. It's, it's just unbelievable. Every time we play someone, some guy is hitting, you know, 10 threes, career highs. It's just, it's just crazy at this point.
2: Yeah. I think there also is the element of just plain bad luck. Sometimes um, they are last in defense of three point percentage in Biggie's play, but you would, I think that number is above 40%. So just by variance, you would expect that to come down, but, I think regardless of scheme, you have a team that's just not very well connected on that end. Um, and then you have individual deficiencies like Mac. He can't really guard the ball. Um, anytime one of the Marquette kids drove against him, he just didn't stand a chance. And then you even have a good defender in Jagan, who after four years still just can't seem to close out properly. Um, the amount of times he's fouled the three-point shooter, it feels like a lot over his career. And then there's times where he just doesn't contest at all. So it's you know, and then you have Jamarco who will get lost here and there. And then when you factor in the scheme, which I don't think is doing your seven any favors, um, with the hard hedging, it's just the the combination of different things that really is, has gone against them right now. Um but I think regardless of scheme you have to be more connected and disciplined than what than what they've shown.
1: The the hard hedging is maddening to me. I just, I just don't yeah. see its utility at all. And it, we were getting killed in the pick and roll. I mean, it just – it's – it's I think it's bothersome. with a game
2: yeah. like that against a kid like Howard, I was okay, you know, for most of the game. But you get a, to a point in that second half where that ball has got to get out of his hands. And if they beat you playing four on three, they beat you. But it, it came to a point in the second half where it needed to be – this kid cannot beat us, but
1: that was the case. He he beat you. And and then that last play out of the timeout for Marquette, I think it was Marquette it was Howard's uh last three. I forget who it was that kind of bit on his first uh, shot They and you know essentially jumped out of bounds, leaving him with a wide open look. That was frustrating. Yeah, of Jagan. course him getting that and then of course him getting that open to begin with on that play is frustrating. It just should never That's- happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, the one thing with JT3 on those baseline out-of-bounds plays, he automatically would go 2-3 zone. We're not going to be on a out-of-bounds play, which would have been nice to, nice to see in that situation, but it's not something we've done under Ewing. And, yeah, Jagan, they set a screen on him, he got beat, and then he, he uh, overcompensated with his closeout. Um, wasn't really handled well. I, I, you just can't treat Howard as any regular shooter on that play. I mean, you you can't
1: let him catch the ball there. And then and then also on, uh, I guess, our penultimate offensive possession when we had 10 seconds left, you know, Jagan is just kind of casually, not that there's anything wrong with casually, but, you know, after dribbling the ball up the court, you know, Marquette's obviously going to foul there down three. Um, didn't seem like we had any sense of urgency or perhaps they weren't told to, you know, get a, get a quick shot off or something like that. Yeah,
2: I think in that situation you have to be expecting them to foul, and when you get under 10 seconds in that situation, I mean, if they foul, you're really, you're really up against it. Um, even if you decide to make two free throws or miss one, whatever situation you're in, you're up against the clock. And in college, not being able to advance the ball um, when you get it back, it's just there's not enough time to, to operate the way they did.
0: Yeah, Bobby, so how I was, was, I the, how's was the crowd? Next to- What's that? How was the crowd? Crowd was great. I mean, I, I tweeted at one point, you know, I was not trying to be snarky or sarcastic. But I was like, wow, like this feels great to be in this building. The game is good. The crowd is good. It used to feel like this a lot more. You know, that used to be more of those types of feelings where it didn't stand out. But it was great. I think the two o'clock helped. I think them being Creighton helped. You know, getting a free t-shirt probably helps. Um I don't know how much Marquette really helps, but, you know, even, the, you know, I feel like college basketball is, is still just kind of, kind of niche, but obviously they've got, you know, one of the best players in the country, but it was a great feeling inside the arena and it was, you know, pretty cool.
1: Cool. I mean, before I ask you that, you were going to talk about something else, I think.
0: I was going to say I, I was, I was sitting next to, um, I forget the guy's name, Ben, not our friend, Ben, but um, Ben that covers, Marquette. And he was saying that earlier in the year against Providence, they had the same situation and they didn't foul and Providence tied it up. And then Providence won in overtime. So he turned to me and he was like, they're going to foul afterwards. Um, uh, Woj, you know, he, uh, Wojo said, you know, he's like, you know, we have got like a really strict rule of, if it's 10 seconds, we're going to foul. And that's why I think it was a little surprising at George kind of casually, like he said, it's a very great word to use at that moment. Um, casually kind of walked it up and was like, um, this game's probably over now. <laughs> right. Um. So in doing the digging that I did on Ken Palm, which goes back to, believe it or not, I, I feel like they keep updating their database. So it goes back to 1997. And obviously I know this is probably not a real thing, but, you know, for all the coaches that, Ewing talked about he can talk to and all these things and I know that Eshrick is completely removed from the program and I see him at Mason sometimes he's a professor and he calls games for Mazin I was pretty surprised to look at what he did defensively as the head coach now you don't want to look at the offense but I mean he had him at you know 13 19 19 29 19 44 you know his last year, their offense was two thirty five. and We remember how that season went, but their defense was forty four, and it's just hard to imagine the defense getting like that. So, I just want to I just want to point that out. I'm, I'm sure Ewing and Escher are not going to talk. He's not going to be on the staff next year. Um, but I was pretty surprised by that. Are you guys surprised by that, or do you remember it being that way? Um, I, 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 I,
1: those I shoot. yeah, I, I was just gonna say I, I remember those teams. Uh, I didn't recall them. They don't pop to mind as like defensive stoppers, but I do recall, you know, players that were above average defensively. Yeah. Um, and fr- and frankly, Escherich learning from, you know, being on the bench of JT two for all those years doesn't really surprise me yeah. um, that he'd bring over some of those the, the similar defensive schemes. Um, Nolan, what were you gonna say? Yeah, I think probably the talent
2: and athleticism on those teams. If you went back and looked at it before we got to, like, 3 and 4 before it really bottomed out, um, they were talented groups of kids. Um, offensively, they couldn't play. They couldn't shoot. But, I mean, you think about some of the personnel they had, whether it was Wellesley Wilson or a Bowman, just long, athletic kids. Um, it wasn't really surprising me to hear that those numbers were that good.
1: Lee Scruggs. He was yeah, too. yeah, Ja, Boomjay yeah. Boomjay,
0: yeah. Portland <laughs> Freeman. Mm -hmm. Gerald (laughs) Riley a a pretty good defensive guard who ended up scoring a bunch but yeah I mean the offense wasn't really great towards the end yeah I mean
2: I think we would kill for some of the recruiting classes that Dexter actually had there late 90s early 2000s with
0: with someone that could actually teach offense yeah yeah exactly so I feel like I say this every game and I don't want to be you know in the moment but Tomorrow's game at Xavier, pretty big one, I think. I think it's pretty hard to come back from a 2-5 in the conference hole, right? I mean, I feel like every game I keep saying, oh, they got to win this game because it's a home game and where, where are you going to win on the road? But I think it's hard to draw up a scenario where they fall to 2-5 and five in the conference and get to eight or nine wins, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, eight or nine wins, wins—that that's the goal. And, you know, after you drop a game like Marquette at home – you have to look to the schedule and see, okay, well, where, where can you pick up a nice road win? This is it, right? I mean, yeah. after, after DePaul waxed Butler, you're like, Whoa. And I know Butler's <laughs> in a little bit of a slide right now, but Xavier, uh, the only thing that worries me about Xavier here is, you know, they've had a week, mm-hmm. <laughs> they've had a week off. Um, I don't know if that really helps, but, um, this is, this is a game that they've got to win. Georgetown has to win if they really have any realistic chances of making the dance.
2: Yeah, I think for me, that's what I worry about the most is that Xavier, they're in a must-win spot, and they've had a week off to prepare at home. And then on your side, you're coming off a last-minute loss um, and now have to travel out there. I think situationally, um, it's a pretty rough spot to be in for tomorrow. But I, I don't think the matchup is all that bad.
0: Is this, so I think every game we kind of need to go, is this going to be a good hedge game or a bad hedge game? Clearly they're going to hedge. Is this, Is this? A, is this a, <laughs> you know, is this Is going to be a good or a bad? Kind of like we had like the good Brandon Bowman, the bad Brandon Bowman for years, you know. Nolan? I think the,
2: the good thing is Xavier still is a team that prefers to work the ball inside out. I think I was looking yesterday. They finished possessions through post-ups, I think it was like 11% of the time, 11.7% of the time. Whereas their ball screen, pick and roll, it's only like 13%, which is, you know, towards the bottom of the Big East. I think Marquette in comparison was up around 20%. So, and with their personnel, I mean, if we go through a game where Xavier shoots 40%, then it is just bad luck because they've, they are a terrible shooting team. So, I think it's a game, if you're at seven and, and Wahab step up and play physical, um, you have a good chance of hanging in there on the defensive end.
1: Um,
2: i probably worry as much on the offensive end um, about you at seven getting pushed around and off the spots. Um, they're going to be physical. Uh, you probably won't get the benefit of a good whistle. So I think they need to play strong and physical. But from a defensive standpoint, it's, it's not a terrible matchup, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I would like to see them come out with the same tenacity that they came out in the first half against Villanova. Um, You know, I was really impressed with the way Georgetown played in that game in the first half. Um, You know, that game was certainly right there for the taking and then kind of got away from them right when the second half started, the first four, eight minutes. Uh, But I think if it would be really frustrating as a fan and probably for the fan base if this is, you know, a game when all of a sudden you turn on and at the under 16 it's like, 16 to four Xavier, you know, um, hard for me to see that happening, but it certainly could. Uh, I just hope it doesn't.
0: Yeah. I I saw you posted the line three and a half, which I was, I was going to tweet something like, Hey, that'd be, you know, that'd be a great step in the right direction. I think they've lost by 16, 16 and 14 on the road, um, with the first two games, not being competitive at all. So, you know, basically Vegas is just going with Ken Palm pretty much, which is kind of boring, I suppose. But I, it, it, you know, it makes sense. But yeah, I think that they're playing a team that hasn't played in a week. They're playing a team that's lost three straight. You know, I don't think has. I think Georgetown's is there only win there the Trey Campbell game. <laughs> The Trey Campbell game.
1: I love well, I remember, remember like, he
0: had like he had like twenty five points, he had, like out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think I that's think right.
2: The first year of the Big East, I think you had the Reggie Cameron first half outburst where I think they were up seventeen and then they, they were up
0: seventeen. Up. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I remember at that moment. Um. There's a big time Georgetown fan. She was she was asking me. She's like, well, I don't just keep playing like that?" I was like. If Trey Campbell keeps averaging about twenty-four points a game, I think that they're going to win a lot. You know, I I just don't know how sustainable that is going to be. Can we talk about McClung for a second? Obviously, he really, you know, he he came up big this week. He's the one thing I think is just crazy, and you know, we didn't get a chance. Ewing didn't bring any players out. He went from being a ninety percent free throw shooter to he's only made. And when he got hit against American. If you guys remember, he took a minute to collect himself, went out there, couldn't really see, hit two free throws, and then left. and did, didn't come out in the second half and, you know, didn't play against Providence. So obviously the injury affected him, but since then he's become a pretty pedestrian free throw shooter. And I know, you know, there's some, some people tweeting, well, he's tired and he had the flu and his legs. But even before he was, you know, sick, he, all of a sudden he went from being just, you know, a dead eye to not – how big of a concern do you think that is, or that's just one of those slumps that happens?
1: Well, I think you use the word pedestrian, but it's it's really much worse. I mean, I think your tweet said something about he's sixty yeah. three percent fine since since that injury. That that's bad. That's that's not pedestrian.
0: Okay. Well, um, you know.
1: <laughs> so, well, I mean, you know, I, do I think he's has some vision issue? No. Um, you know, I don't think it's that. I, I a lot. I don't know what it is. I mean, some. Guys are just not as good from the line in crunch time situations and games that matter. Uh, You could argue that a lot of the free throws he took prior to that injury were, you know, kind of meaningless. You know, to some extent, there I don't remember him kind of needing to hit any free throws. You know, in any clutch situations, maybe something's, you know, uh, maybe I'm forgetting one shot or two in the non-conference schedule. But um, and the one free throw that he that he missed that we all remember in the Marquette game, he was just, it it was short on it, right? I mean, it almost like barely grazed the rim, it looked like. So maybe legs have something to do with it. I don't know. Uh, But he does seem to have good form from the line. I think it's something that he can turn around pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, I I think he's just missed a couple. I'm not too worried about that. I I don't think he's played all that well. Um, I think he's pressed a little bit. I think he's, Knows he has to take on a scoring role. He's kind of forced the issue a couple times. Um, there was one key spot where he should have swung the ball to Jagan, who was open in the corner. Um, yeah. And Jagan and Pat were pretty upset about it, and I don't blame them. I mean, Jagan from the corner, it's felt like he's been automatic this year. Um, and Mac shot it and missed, I think. And mm-hmm. they were not happy about it. And it's just little things like that. He still has to – trying to find the right balance between being aggressive and also, you know, playing for his teammates, too. Uh, so I was more disappointed in that than the free throw shoot. I, I, I trust him at the free throw line. Yeah. I think once he settles in, he's 80% probably um, over the long haul. I, th- I think that's yeah, sort of I mean, the I, thing,
1: I, though. I, think, is these I was guys... going to say, I think he's just, he's just playing a little fast. You know, I think he, he's just playing still a little faster than he needs to play. You know, he's not really... If the game's not coming to him as much, I think he's he's forcing it a little bit. Um, but I don't
0: think it's really anything to worry about. He's uh, Put it this way, I'm glad he's on our team and not any of the others. Yeah, for sure. It's just one of those things where because of what happened during the season, it's everyone sort of has to be perfect all the time, right? And I guess that's not really fair. I mean, you know, they're not in that game. If McClung's not playing 35 minutes and he's scoring 24 points and getting six rebounds, it's just, you know, they have no margin of error particularly when i said from the beginning when you can't get stops and you can't you can't you can't limit the amount of open shots that your opponent takes and for me that's the most glaring thing is just some of these possessions where you know sometimes the best defender is just the rim because i mean there's just there's just open shots um yeah
1: yeah i was a little discouraged of uh
0: you know Blair only getting off that one shot the entire time. I couldn't believe. Well, you know, technically he 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 didn't take a shot, right? It doesn't yeah. count. I mean, I was sitting there the first half and I tweeted, "I can't believe he just played ten minutes and didn't get a shot up." Like whether that's being yeah. him hesitant or he wasn't open, but you know, I think, and I know this is a big thing for Nolan. I'm sure you you too, Andrew, is that you know you want him and Pickett just catch and shoot threes. And they came out of the second half and Pickett got a couple catch-and-shoot threes. You don't really want these mm-hmm. guys driving, although against Creighton, and I know I'm rambling here, I'll stop in a second, against Creighton it almost seemed like some of, some of Javon Blair's little like, floaters in the lane were almost, it was almost an offensive strategy to get your seven to get rebounds and stuff. <laughs> you know. But for the most part, you want those guys taking a bunch of threes because they're going to knock them down.
2: Yeah, I, I thought his minutes kind of hurt on Saturday. Um, you know, Pat had made the comment the game before to Jagan that he might have to play all 40 minutes, and I might take that approach um, until Jagan tells you he can't do it. I Actually, on Saturday, Georgetown won that game when Jagan was on the floor, um, and the, I think the two or three minutes he was off was pretty much a difference. Uh, I thought he was great again. the margin of error. I, I just don't think you can take him off the floor for an extended amount of time. Um, not saying they win if he doesn't come off the floor, but it was interesting to me that they did win that game for the 37, I think it was 37 minutes that he was out there for. Um, but if Blair's not getting looks from three point range, uh, there's not really a net positive of him out there. Um, but yeah, with him and Jamarco, it's, DeMarco can bite off more than he can chew um, when he puts the ball on the floor. He's played to his role well this <laughs> year, but as soon as he puts the ball on the floor, it's it, nothing good is going to come out of it. And really the no, same it's, case with player. It's,
1: yeah, no, it's cringeworthy, you know, look away from the TV, change the channel kind of stuff. Bad.
0: So in going down the plus minus, obviously it's a game they lost by four. And no one, neither team was really up by a lot at any point. I think eight was the biggest margin. And um, so, Pickett was minus four, Omir was minus two, McClung minus four, Jagan was actually minus two, Allen minus five, Blair minus one, and everyone's favorite, Cutis Wahab, six points, six minutes. He was he was minus two as well. Um, so there wasn't there wasn't a lot of variance. The the only player that really stuck out with a great plus minus was. Marquette was minus 11 with Theo John on the floor and plus 15 with Johnson. So those are the numbers. You guys seem interested. Yeah,
2: that's surprising. I think Marquette <laughs> fans have soured on Theo John this year. Um, him and Johnson pretty much just traded off minutes now. But um, I thought O'Meara was a factor. Um I'm pretty much taking him out of the game. Uh, and Wahab, like I had mentioned, you know, it's kind of the backup quarterback syndrome where, <laughs> you know, Wahab's look great in spurts, but if you were to put him out there for an extended period of time, um, it's not going to look as great. You know, as frustrating as your Seven can be at times, it's uh, he's still clearly the better
1: option. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's he's got to be on the floor. I mean, I think before the Marquette game that we we even said it on this tremendously wonderful podcast just your seven can get theo john into foul trouble that happened all we needed to do was prevent howard from going off you know get him his 26 27 28 but prevent something in the high 30s low 40s and you know that didn't happen and you know we got the l uh what do you see as the keys to the xavier game i would say
2: it's yeah, I think it comes down to year seven again um, against Tyreek Jones and their grad transfer and their Carter. Um, I think the kid backing up Jones right now is a freshman. Um, if he can control the paint, I think you stand a good chance um, just because I don't think those Xavier guards are really going to hurt you. Um, they have a freshman Tandy who can score a lot of points in a hurry, but there's just not a good shooting team, which is a nice sight for Georgetown right now to run How into. How do you say his um, first name? I think it's key Is it Kiki? It's i Y.
0: I've not I've not seen that before.
2: Yeah, but he he can score. Um, hopefully, he's not the next guy to just come out of nowhere and light Georgetown up. But I think if Omear controls the paint. Um, I really I trust the guards, especially Terrell and Jagan. Um Mac don't have him press as much and I think you're in a good spot offensively. Um as long as you play physical, you play to your pace. Um but defensively I I would prefer if they would just drop your seven in coverage, um and not hard hedge. I mean Jones is not somebody you have to worry about pick and popping. Um and the guards you really don't have to get up on to to contest shots well I mean if Gooden's going to be shooting three pointers um you let him. so I I don't know if they'll change the scheme I doubt they will um it seems like they're going to stick with that as much as they can and just try to do it better uh I think just for me it's just the situation that scares me with Xavier with a week off and being a a must-win spot that would be my biggest concern but I do think it's a decent matchup.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I think we have the better players, frankly. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, if, if we lose this one, it's it's, a, it's kind of a bad loss. You I know, mean, we we got to go in there tomorrow and, and, and beat the Muskies. Um, it just has to happen. I'm going to go with the final score prediction. Hoyas, 82. Muskies.
0: 71. Uh, I like Xavier, Xavier, 86, Georgetown, 79.
2: Uh, nope. I'll go Xavier, 78, Georgetown,
1: 73. So nice. I'm the, just
0: remember this. I'm the lone hero. <laughs> if the boys win, um, to sort of go in a little bit of a positive direction after those predictions, Omir, another on-a-roll appearance, he's kind of living on there. He's up to 10 double-doubles, which is pretty good through January 21st. Last year, Jesse had nine. The year before, Jesse had 15, but that's kind of, kind of an inflated number if you were catching my drift. Um, so, you know, I know Omir struggled a little bit, but he's really been producing right i mean this is it'd be hard to ask for anything better i think what do you think uh,
1: absolutely I, th- I think he's he's been uh, as advertised i mean obviously i wish he was a little bit more aggressive at times and more assertive but you know to to have someone like him with his touch um who can produce on on both ends of the floor i think he's he's been just fine for us this season i hope he stays it's not gonna happen, but I hope he stays.
0: probably hurt a little bit obviously, and as everyone is by the departures, I think they're probably gonna do some different stuff and um it's not you know helping him, but he's definitely produced at a level I think people were a little bit you know you lose an all big East guy like Jesse and you've basically replaced him with an all with an all big east guy
1: I thought
2: I found it interesting that he finally decided to let it fly um, from three point range, yeah and that, I mean even. You look at how he shot at NC State, I think he was 50% on 40-something attempts. Yeah, I think he was, was, he was like
0: 22 for 44.
2: Yeah, so if that's a wrinkle, they kind of use moving, moving forward, kind of a pick-and-pop situation with him. Um, if he can knock those down, um, even at a 36%, 37% rate, I mean, that's a weapon that they haven't really utilized so far this year. So He's been good. I know everybody wants him to be – physical and dunk everything but reality is if that was him he
0: he wouldn't still be playing college basketball so yeah, what yeah. he's been solid speaking of solid Jagan Mosley I wasn't really paying attention until a couple of games ago but he with five assists he hit 300 for his career which is a pretty big number and I don't really think of him being on this list and he's prop so he's 20th in Georgetown he passed um, the other day, he passed Ashante Cook, Gene Smith. Um, he's tied with Markell. Um, Charles Smith, obviously, at Georgetown, one, one of the all-time greats, Is you know, got 301. So, Jagan's obviously going to pass that. Iverson only played two years, so the number's a little bit different. But he's going to pass Jesse Sapp, Mike Riley, Jeff Green. You know, this is assuming he doesn't get hurt. So, he's going to end up, like, 14th, 13th all-time in assists, which I feel, you know, he obviously got caught in the you know the coaching change which is if the coaching change happens usually it's not great you know unless you have like an all-time guy retiring but you know Jagen really and Ewing Ewing loves them but Jagen really you know he's he's, he's not going to be a thousand point scorer guy but he's done his job as far as you know holding the team kind of together and getting to that 300 number I feel like is a pretty big deal no, no doubt I think uh he's he's been great this year um I, I really
1: hope they they make the tournament only just to see him get there. Yeah, um, you know, it's disappointing for him, especially after everything he's been through with the, the coaching changes and all that. Um, as far as the all-time numbers go, though, I mean, I think that the real measure of it, and I don't even know how you would do this, but if you, if you take someone who's played all four try. years and is, you know, I'm sure you will, um, you know, someone who's played all four years and played this, that um, that number of minutes, you know, where okay. he would fall. Um, because, you know, th- those numbers tend to compile over time. You know, the whole, the old, I know Peter was elected to the Hall of Fame today and Larry Walker. So the basic argument is, well, a lot of these guys Free Barry Bonds. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, a lot of these guys who get in, like like Harold Baines, whenever that was, um, if you play long enough, you're going to compile enough stats that it looks impressive, right? So yeah. 300 assists, sure, that, that that's a nice number, and he's going to fall in the top 15 all-time for the program. That's great but I wonder how many guys who played as much as he did um, wouldn't be on that list.
0: You know, I was trying to end this podcast on a positive note, Andrew. (laughs) Look, I'm glad. I'm very happy for Harold Baines. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: everyone had a good thing to say about Jake. And I think he's been everything you'd want in a senior. Um, Hopefully we have a final push left in to, to get him into the tournament for the first time. I mean, he's been so I wish he was even more aggressive as good as he's been.
0: Yeah, I think that they're definitely this current group cuz that's the group that we're dealing with. For them to beat good teams, he's got to come out and make shots. And to make shots, you have to take shots and he's I don't know if he just looks for that right for the exact right moment, but he's really been picky. Obviously, he's shooting a good a good rate, but you know like I'm thinking of the Syracuse game where You know, like he's just out there burying guys and to play within himself is a big deal. But I think that he needs to play a little bit. uh, You know, I've probably said this five times now, but just a little bit more aggressive. We could not go a whole half and you look and Mosley's only taken one shot because for Georgetown to get something done, he's got to be he's got to be a bigger part of it.
1: Yeah. And I remember some some possessions in the second half against Marquette where he, you know, he took it to the hole um and that was nice to see you know he better get filed filed, or actually make the shot so yeah hopefully we see more of that
2: yeah that's what I would like to see him do more um as good of a passer as he is you know take some guys off the bounce and see what you can create um I think for him it's tough to to find shots I I mean I can't really remember ever seeing him take a jump shot off the dribble I mean it's almost all catch and shoot so he's kind of just has to play off everybody else but if he can get into the lane and make some things happen um I think it really helps open a lot, a lot for his, for his teammates.
0: So this is the game, right? I know Nolan and I picked them to lose, but we're going to end it on. This is kind of the, you know, put that line in the sand. I think two and five is going to be too difficult to come back with. Are we all in agreement on that at least?
1: Well, no, because no. then
0: they go out and they, they, they you know,
1: and then they, they up, upset someone else and suddenly you're back in. And I mean, you can't really say like okay. every game is, is, is must win in this conference because who, the way the things are going, I mean, I think anyone could beat anyone. It's it's kind of crazy this season. Um, but that being said, yes, they do need to win this game. I wouldn't say it's a must win, but I think they need to win it.
0: Yeah, it. just when you're looking around at who you're going to beat on the road, this, you know... I know Xavier was ranked earlier this year just because they're Xavier, but this is probably one of the spots where you have to steal one. Yeah. Um, I want to apologize to everyone. This episode is not going to have intro or outro music, although we're really, really close. The music has been downloaded (laughs) from the options that I had, which I know everyone has, oh, you know, do the Hot Stepper or do the Mariah Carey song. Yeah, those songs aren't available to us, okay? So... Um, I do understand that a couple boring guys need some flashy bells and whistles to really spruce this thing up and just not stop talking about the hard hedge all the time. But hopefully by episode 32 that there will be some cool music. Love it. Can't wait. All right, you guys, you can find us on Google podcast, on Spotify, on Apple music. I want to say Stitcher as well, and I've never used it. Kente Corner, a Casual Hoya podcast. Nationwide Nolan. Casual Hoya. I'm Bobby Bancroft. We're out of here.
2: Later. Thanks, guys.